What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Out War. I am Turner, and I'm joined via the internet once again. Thank you, Rona, with Rosie. What's up, Rosie? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well. Still not social distancing and uh, still not sick. Have you even put on a mask? Uh, once for a picture. Oh, yeah? And the picture I posted on Facebook said, I will never wear a mask. <laughs> or something like that. I don't remember what it was, but yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yeah. It was <laughs> – yeah, I was wearing uh, the mask and like a big floppy hat and big sunglasses and was holding a butcher's knife and like had all these like things. I'm like, I'm ready for the Chinese virus. <laughs> So that's all. That's the only reason, just to make fun of it. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wear it when I have to wear it. Um, where I work, they require it when you go into any store where I'm working. So when I go to lunch, yeah. I have to put one on to go and order my lunch at the deli. But as, yeah. soon, as soon as I walk out, I pull it off. I'm like, forget that, man. Yeah, I mean, I've I when I go shopping and people look at me, and I just do the. Bu- like that, you know, buck at him. Like, yeah. What are you looking at? <laughs> They're like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't worry. Uh, well, I was, just... I went to the grocery store today to do our weekly grocery shopping, and about half the people are wearing masks and half people aren't. Yeah. And anybody not wearing a mask is like, they just won't make eye contact with you because the people <laughs> that do wear masks are so judgy. Like, yeah. What are you worried about? You've got the mask. What are you right. gonna, like? If I'm sick, you're not going to get sick from it. You've got the mask. You've got your little safety protection there, that doesn't work. Right. You know? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, listen. I got I got Jesus. I don't need a stupid mask. <laughs> Jesus is my safety mask. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. I'm co- covered by the blood. Amen. Goes over the face. Preach it. Preach it. <laughs> Every fiber. Exactly. Anyways, yeah. So. um yeah. So what do you know, man? Oh, uh, hey, I got a couple. Okay. So first, let me go ahead and I want to, because I don't think we did it. Um, we've done a podcast since uh, Ramadan started. No, we haven't. Uh, so Ramadan Maroc to all the Muslim brothers out there listening to this. <laughs> And at the uh, but the tons of Muslims that listen to our podcast, yeah, Assalamualaikum, uh, <laughs> you know, all that good stuff. Um, right. So since that started, um, I've been tweeting uh, the Ramadan Bombathon. Yes. Which is uh, the number of uh, terrorist attacks that have happened in the name of Islam mm. since in the holiest month of Ramadan. And I just wanted to give an update since today is day seventeen. Um, there have been 79 attacks and 286 people have been killed specifically by Muslims during their most holy month. Hmm. This is like Easter. This is like people that don't understand. This is like the holiest thing. This is like Passover for Jews. This is like Easter Holy Week for Christians, like the most holy week. And this would be like us going out and saying, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And now I'm going to kill a bunch of kids. Um, by blowing up a car bomb or something. So anyways, <laughs> did you know that there have been 79 attacks during <laughs> the holiest at, at the end of the, at the end of the uh, thing, they always do a tally and uh, we'll see if they beat the uh, high score of 2015. 
But uh, what was what was that? What was that tally? It was, I think it was like eight hundred people or something like that. It was a lot. They got a ways to go. Yeah, um, but yeah. Anyways, did you know? Uh, moving from that, that Saddam Hussein had a Quran etched in his own blood. What? Yeah. What? Uh, yeah, I need more ex- explanation. Okay. Like the Here, entire Quran was etched in his yes. blood. How was it etched he, in? Okay. So it says uh, there is a 650-page Quran written in 24 using 24 liters of Saddam Hussein's own blood. <laughs> so uh, it says it was. I'm gonna just read this little paragraph real quick. It says it was itch, etched in the blood of a dictator in a ghoulish bid for piety over the course of two painstaking years in the late 1990s. Saddam Hussein had regularly sat with an sat with a nurse and an Islamic calligrapher, the former drawing 27 liters of his blood and the latter using it as a macabre, macabre, macabre. I can't. Oh, yeah, I know the word. Uh, I don't know why I can't pronounce Ma- it. Macabre. Right McCabe, yeah, uh, ink to transcribe a Quran. Um, yeah, so. Wow. So he used his own blood to print a copy of the Quran. Yeah, so he had a guy, he's literally taking a pen, dipping it into the, his flesh, uh, fresh blood, and writing a Quran. Like an inkwell. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good old Saddam. That dude must have really thought he was. He said he, he thought he was the, the Nebuchadnezzar returned. Yeah. Remember was, that? Yeah. Mm. The yeah. crazy thing is Nebuchadnezzar wasn't Muslim. <laughs> That's what's so crazy. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. And um, the things gonna say, the things dictators do. Yeah. They're crazy, man. By the way, Kim Jong un is alive, evidently. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah, I read that he he, he said it was a plot to uh, to uh, ferret out uh, people that weren't loyal to him, uh, dissidents. Like he wanted to see who would uh, make moves. You know. Yeah. If he was dead, who like, uh, like who would take the reins and try and start yeah, controlling would, stuff? Yeah. Hmm. So. I mean, and it's interesting. Someone I was talking to someone the other day, and I'm like, "Don't dictators have to do that kind of stuff all the time?" And they're like, "Yeah, <laughs> for fake their death every other year." <laughs> yeah, well, they have to do stuff like that, you know, like within, uh, you know, I guess it's different when, like, it's a nuclear power. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, right. Enemy, but I mean, they. I'm sure that they do all kinds of stuff like that. He's constantly having spies working for him in his own thing to find out which of his generals might, you know, if he did die, who might step up or who, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. They, they have to do that kind of stuff to make sure. And then it, it instills a, uh, like, uh, he wants to create fear. Like, so if he know, so all his generals that work for him, like his top circle, like none of them, if any of them were thinking about like they don't like him, they can't tell anybody else because if they tell one other guy, right, that other guy might turn him in, or, you know, so no, so literally no, nobody can trust anybody else. And you and, can't criticize the leadership, at all. Well, no, yeah, I've worked. On, I've even, worked in situations like that. 
<laughs> unruly dictator. Yeah. Um, he never faked his death, unfortunately. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have um, tried to take the reins anyways. Yeah. I wasn't interested in that. We're talking about video games, of course. Of course, Nothing. yeah. It would never be in a, a real, real life. life. Yeah, not, not at all. Um, yeah. Oh, here's another. Did you know? Did you know uh, William, William Defoe? Yeah, I like him. He yeah, was, he he was a, great in that Spider-Man movie. He was. He was also expelled from school as a kid uh, for making a porno. <laughs> I was drinking my drink. <coughs> what was that? <clears throat> he made a porno in school. Yeah, he was a in, kid in college or in like high school. He made a porno in high school. That's what he says. Jeez. So, uh, okay. There you go. The more you know. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, those are great. Did you knows? Um, hey, you wanna yeah. you wanna continue in our uh, series that we're doing, which may end tonight. <laughs> our two part series, maybe longer. It depends on how much we get through on uh, secret uh, government. Uh, yeah. Projects. Cool. Let's do it. All right. So if you're listening, sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War podcast. Yes, you are. And we're back. You know, <laughs> uh, for those of you that are joining us via YouTube, Spotify, uh, and other vehicles of listening, we want to thank you. Uh, I was reading through some of our comments on YouTube the other day. Most, a lot of people don't know we're on YouTube, but um, basically we take this audio and place it over onto YouTube. Uh, at some point, we may have cameras and do a whole live stream thing. I don't know. We'll just see. But uh, No. <laughs> I know you don't want to do it. I'm down for it, man. You guys will never see my face. Yeah. Well, we could work around all that. That'd be fine. Yeah. But um, but anyways, someone put on the comments uh, for one of our episodes. They're like, the the content starts at nine minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a comment <laughs> to help everyone else skim through all the did you know and all the stupid bantering catching up you and I do. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite parts of the podcast. I mean. I I do too. I, I enjoy it, but I do have to say on other podcasts, like other ones I listen to, I do skip over most of it. So I get it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't care about your stupid dog. Keep talking. Yeah. yeah. So we started a, speaking of that, we started a, a series last week and you did, uh, you did some top secret, uh, government operations that were unknown or lesser known. And, uh, that was really cool. We had, I had a good time listening to you. And so you tasked me with finding some. And so <laughs> I went through and I found some. And the first one that I want to bring up actually came to me via one of our listeners. They sent me a Twitter, um, one of our listeners on Twitter who follows, follows us on Twitter, sent me a link posted by a guy named Greg Reese and Greg Reese is, he works for Infowars. Um, so take that for what it is, but the information, I like Infowars. Yeah, I do too. I think there's a lot <laughs> that you can still glean from them, but, um, I isolated this clip from a testimony that was given during the Clinton era. It was a congressional testimony given during the Clinton era, and it was surrounding something that a, a government operation called human radiation experiment. And mm -hmm. it was during the cold war era 
But I want you to hear, it started during the Cold War. It went on all the way through, um, I think, until probably the late 80s, maybe. But when was Clinton in office in the 90s? Like yeah. Like 96 or something, 94? Did he go into office? Yeah. Well, I think 95. 95? Yeah. It's, no, 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 no. No, 94. Yeah. Because yeah, he was there for Waco. Yeah, that's right. That's right, because I remember that. So, anyways, I isolated this clip that was sent to me via via this. It was a post by Greg Reese, and and so he isolated the testimony from the congressional hearing, and then I can tell you, talk a little bit more about it in just a minute. But cool. so here's the clip that um, that we isolated. In 1995, President Bill Clinton's Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experimentation included testimonies from Congress from child victims involved in trauma-based mind control who claimed they were tortured and kept in cages when they were small children. I was a subject in radiation as well as mind control and drug experiments performed by a man I knew as Dr. Green. His objective was to gain control of my mind and train me to be a spy assassin. I was in what looked like a laboratory and there seemed to be other children. I was strapped down, naked, spread eagle, on a table, on my back. Dr. Green moved on to wanting me to kill dolls that looked like real children. He often tied me down in a cage, which was near his office. And claimed they were used to sexually blackmail powerful politicians when they were only nine years old. I became a pawn in a government scheme. His ultimate goal was mind control and to create the perfect spy. All for the use of chemicals, radiation, drugs, hypnosis, electric shock, isolation in tubs of water, sleep deprivation, brainwashing, verbal, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. I can only summarize my circumstances by saying they took an already abused seven-year-old child and compounded my suffering beyond belief. The saddest part is I know for a fact that I was not alone. There were countless other children in my same situation and there was no one to help us. I was sent to a lodge in Maryland called Deep Creek Cabins to learn how to sexually please men. I was taught how to coerce them into talking about themselves. And it was, doc it was uh, Richard Helms, who was deputy director of the CIA, Dr. Godwin, uh, Captain George White, Morris Allen, who all planned on filming as many high government agency officials and heads of academic institutions and foundations as possible. I was used to entrap many unwitting men, including themselves, all with the use of a hidden camera. I was only nine years old. I was only nine years old. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, that came out of an investigation into the human radiation experiment. And wow. it was discovered by Secretary of Energy Hazel O'Leary and she was actually the whistleblower who did the investigation. It, there's a huge, you can Google it and you can find it. There's a huge report that was written. It's, I think it's like, it's, it looks like a phone book. It's probably seven, 800 pages. Mm. Uh, it's huge. And um, you can actually go onto the archives on uh, from the National Archives and you can actually watch the video of Bill Clinton talking about this investigation. He doesn't mention those specific things about the the pedophilia blackmail network that was set up or anything like that. But I thought that that was very telling 
given everything over the last year that we've been talking about with Epstein and with the Clintons and with, you know, the Lolita Express and the island and all of that, it just kind of plays perfectly into all of that, those things that are seeming to be coming to light now. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it's amazing how it was kind of tucked under this human radiation experiment. Now that was even worse because the human radiation experiment was, they were taking people and exposing them to high, high doses of radiation to see what effects it would have on them, to see how much they could get away with, to find out what the long-term effects were going to be, what the short-term effects were going to be of the radiation based on a cellular level and all kinds of different medical, you know, um, you know, trying to figure out medical responses that would happen to the exposure to radiation. So um, I'm thankful that they closed it down. Obviously, radiation is not really good for humans. <laughs> uh, and anybody that is, you know, investigating this 5G stuff, um, the 5G ban is an actual radiation ban. It's a it's a five gigahertz uh, wave of energy that's that's radiation. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a short wave, but it's one of the largest short waves that we have um, that will be available, you know, to the public, exposed on a regular basis everywhere. So uh, I thought that was interesting, and it came at a time when uh, it actually came before we started the series. So it was like perfect timing. I want to thank our listeners. We have the best listeners. Um, mm-hmm. I was interacting with um, last week. I was interacting with. Um, uh, one of the one of the hosts of the podcast, um, Women of the Table, it's hmm. a it's a woman's it's a woman pod it's a female Christian podcast. It's two two female. It's actually it's it's a, it's, it's a woman podcast. <laughs> it's a woman podcast. They do it from the kitchen, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, the Women of the Table. One of the hosts she messaged me because I posted something on um, Instagram, hmm. and uh, it was when. It was when the CDC changed their numbers to like half of what they were when it went from like 70,000 down to like 30,000 for the deaths from the COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like, where did you find that information? She wanted confirmation. So I dug into the website a little bit more and I found it. And so I shared that link with her and we were just going back and forth a little bit. And she's like, you know, um, if you find anything else, let me know. And I was like, Hey, likewise, <laughs> you know, if you find right. anything, let me know too. And she's, Oh, definitely. I, I will definitely do that. But you might want to check out their podcast too. Women of the table. Another one is, uh, is pedals. Uh, hold on. I want, I don't want to leave them out because, um, the, these are two, if you're, if you're a woman, uh, and you're, if you know one, but pedals and pistols is another one. And that sounds awesome. It is. They're actually really cool. Um, and both of those podcasts, um, I really respect the hosts, uh, the women. They they are very balanced in their beliefs and everything. So you sh- you should check them out when you get a chance if if you want. I don't know if you want to listen to that, Rosie, but I actually did listen to a couple of their episodes. So I'll check them out. Yeah, I mean, I listen to any podcast. I don't care. I'm I'm a, <laughs> I'm kind of a junkie. All right, so that was the human radiation experiment, and uh, it was veiled with, you know, kind of tucked in with it was a pedophilia blackmail network that was exposed, and um, obviously that uh, that testimony on Capitol Hill that was given was pretty damning to uh, those that put that together. Hmm. I don't know where it went. It obviously didn't go too far. <laughs> if it's just being discovered again now, right. you know? Yeah. 
So on to cooler things to talk about. Uh, <laughs> there's another one I found called Project Ice Worm. Get it? Hmm. Cooler things to talk about. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Project Ice Worm. I know you like that. That was such a dad joke, man. Um, this is a top secret uh, army program of the Cold War. And it was um, it was this project where they would they were building a underground nuclear base uh, in Greenland under the ice, and uh, they the whole goal of it was to they wanted to get close enough to Russia so that if we ever had to engage them in a nuclear war, we w- we could use medium range nuclear missiles that would break through the ice of Greenland and get them by surprise. That's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So let me read from uh, the Wikipedia page, actually. It says, To study the feasibility of working under the ice, a highly publicized cover project known as Camp Sentry was launched in 1960. Unstable ice conditions within the ice sheet caused the project to be canceled in 1966, however. It says that uh, details of the missile-based project were secrets for decades, but they came to light in January of 1995 during the inquiry by the Danish Foreign Policy Institute into the history of the use and the storage of nuclear weapons in Greenland. The inquiry was ordered by the Parliament of the Kingdom of Denmark following the release of previously classified information about the 1968 Thule Air Base B-52 crash that contradicted previous assertions by the government of Denmark. So... I guess this airplane crash fueled the deeper look into and the discovery of this project ice worm or whatever it's called. What is it? Ice, uh, yeah, ice, ice worm. worm. Yeah. Uh, so um, here's what it says. It says to test the feasibility of construction techniques as project as a project called Camp Sentry was started by the United States military located at an elevation of 6,600 feet in northwest Greenland. 150 miles from the American Thule Air Base. The radar and air base at Thule had already been active in use since 1951. Camp Sentry was described at the time as a demonstration of affordable ice cap military outpost. The secret project Ice Worm was to be a system of tunnels 4,000 kilometers or 2,500 miles in length used to deploy up to 600 nuclear missiles that would be able to reach the Soviet Union in case of nuclear war. The missile locations would be under the cover of Greenland's ice sheet and were supposed to be periodically changed. While Project Ice Worm was secret plan, while, while Project Ice Worm was secret, plans for the Camp Sentry were discussed and approved by the Kingdom of Denmark. A facility including its nuclear power plant was profiled in the Saturday Evening Post magazine in 1960. The official purpose of Camp Sentry, as explained by the United States Department of Defense to Danish officials in 1960, was to test various construction techniques under Arctic conditions, explore practical problems with a semi-mobile nuclear reactor, as well as supporting scientific experiments on the ice cap. A total of 21 trenches were cut out of the cover and covered with arched roofs within which fabricated buildings were erected with a total length of 3,000 or meters or 1.9 miles. These tunnels also contained a hospital, a shop, a theater, and a church, which is important if you're going to engage in nuclear war. 
Yeah. <laughs> the total number of inhabitants was around 200. From 1960 until 1963, the electrical supply was provided by means of the world's first mobile portable nuclear reactor, uh, designated PM-2A and designed by ALCO for the United States Army. Water was supplied by melting glaciers and tested to determine whether germs such as the plague were still present in the ice. Okay, there you go. So, uh, wow. Yeah, that <laughs> was kind of a. That's crazy. <laughs> so they uh, they wanted to build an underground ice base. Uh, it reminds me of like uh, something out of Star Wars or something like that. Yeah. You, you know the, uh, the the Empire Strikes Back when they were on uh, Hoth, the planet of Hoth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it makes me think about. You know. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> that's so cool. I have like a an image of. Uh, if they were to shoot through, yeah, just like breaking through the ice and <laughs> yeah, that's, so, that's cool. The ICBMs busting through like those big ones. Yeah. Well, if you go to the Wikipedia page, they have a layout of the, of camp century. So you can kind of see what the underground tunnels would have looked like and all. Um, they actually have it uh, declassified so you can check it out. That's cool. What's crazy to me is, do you think that the Russians had things like this happening? You mean like were they building stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. Like were they doing stuff like down in like South America to try and get to us? Like I know they had Cuba, mm-hmm. but like or Cuba as they like to call Cuba. it. <laughs> um, but were they? You think that they were like trying to in the desert somewhere, or trying to get closer to us, uh, building secret bases for with nukes? Uh, I, I I would say yes. I don't know with the nukes. I don't know if they well. Yeah, didn't they move? Uh, I can't remember. My history is um, messing with me. Mm-hmm. Did they actually bring nukes to Cuba? Did they actually get nukes to Cuba? They tried. I think we stopped them. And that's I, what I, I, I feel like that's what the whole like Bay of Pigs uh, standoff with Kennedy and all was about. Right, yeah, the, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. But I, don't, I can't remember if they actually, if they actually did... Uh, get nuclear weapons like warheads to Cuba. Um, I, mm. I think they did uh, because that's why it became like a real threat. Mm. Um, but I, I mean, they're doing that now. Russia is. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I was going to say, and that's the whole thing with the, uh, yeah. So I guess the answer is yes, I, I do think they did that. And uh, I mean, um, that's what happened with uh, Reagan and the Iran Contra. The mm-hmm. whole thing with they were selling, uh, we were sending uh, weapons down to the Contras, which were uh, a- anti-communist uh, guerrilla forces. Um, that ba- basically became Al Qaeda. <laughs> I mean, I, mean <laughs> I think there's a big difference between uh, ones in Venezuela and, uh, I mean, maybe someone from South America would be upset that you think that they're no Arab, no I'm, but... <laughs> I'm talking about the in afghanistan the whole middle east we've we've you know russia was trying to invade and get in there for years and yeah and the resistance was al-qaeda but it was we were giving them the weapons originally yeah yeah we did arm them uh the the mujahideen the uh yeah uh freedom fighters but uh yeah but I'll, I'll, but more closely to uh to uh, home base, you know, uh, American soil. Yeah, they definitely moved into. Uh, they, it was all proxy wars, so they were arming people down there. Um, but it's yeah. So I, I think that they they definitely did 
uh, try to move stuff like that. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot more uh, stuff that hasn't been declassified, mm-hmm. um, you know, in regards to maybe they got some weapons to, you know, South America that we, that we were able to uh, figure out, you know, cause maybe just a real quick tangent, you know, we might be, you know, talking about all the crazy stuff that like, you know, the CIA did this or that. And I think it's important that we only hear about the, the stuff that the agency messes up with yeah. or, you know, let a terrorist attack that happens that right. they're like, Oh, why do we even have the agency? They don't do anything. You know, they just let this, <laughs> yeah. they just let this bomb, you know, bomb attack happen. Um, there for every one of those, there's probably hundreds or thousands of plots that they did stop. Um, so, and we never hear about the successes. You only hear about the failures. So I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that Russia probably did get into South America or, you know, Mexico, I don't know, Mexico. Yeah, Yeah, I would. Oh, Um, totally. There's a communist, there's a pretty large communist party presence in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just do yourself a favor. Google China's Silk Road Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you'll see what's happening now, what we're trying to stop now. Exactly. But uh, yeah, speaking of, so speaking of Russia and Arctic and all that stuff, there's my next one is called Project Azorian or it's Mm -hmm. A-Z-O-R-I-A-N. So Azorian, um, I guess that's probably the best way to say it. Project Azorian. Uh, This is actually really cool. They need to make a movie about this one. Like (laughs) it would be really awesome. On March 18th, 1975, one of the CIA's greatest intelligent coups Project Azorian was fully exposed through a nationally broadcast syndicated report. The report revealed the truth about Glomar Explorer and its connection to the secret intelligence operation. Glomar's story began in 1968 when a Soviet Gulf II class submarine carrying three SSN4 nuclear armed missiles sailed from a naval base on Russia's Kamchatka Peninsula en route to the peacetime patrol station northeast of Hawaii. Shortly after leaving port, the submarine and its crew disappeared. After an extensive but unsuccessful effort, the Soviets abandoned the search. This is what's awesome. Little did they know, however, the U.S. intelligence community had located the submarine resting on the ocean floor about 1,500 miles northwest of Hawaii. With support from the Department of Defense and recognizing the opportunity to glean information on Soviet strategic capabilities, the CIA agreed to lead a recovery effort. The CIA engineers faced a daunting task, lift the huge 1,750-ton, 132-foot-long wrecked submarine intact from an unknown ocean abyss more than three miles below the ocean's surface. Under total secrecy, the monumental undertaking would be codenamed Project Azorion. Uh, and if you go, if you if you search this out on the internet, they actually have pictures of this capture vehicle that they lowered down and mm. some of the ships and the techniques that they were using. It says a team of CIA engineers and contractors determined the only technical, technically feasible approach <laughs> to recover the Soviet submarine was to use a large mechanical claw attached to a ship's uh, surface to lift it. The next question, and perhaps the most complex, was how to maintain operational secrecy. After all, if the Soviets were to learn the true intent of the operation, they may launch an effort to protect their interests. To solve this problem, 
the CIA reached out to billionaire Howard Hughes, who agreed to work with the CIA to build a plausible mm-hmm. cover story. <laughs> the ship would be named the Glomar Explorer, a commercial deep-sea mining vessel uh, ostensibly built and owned by Hughes. Hughes provided the necessary cover, asserting that the Glomar Explorer and its crew were conducting marine research and extreme ocean depths and mining manganese nodules lying on the sea bottom. That was pretty cool. The Glomar Explorer arrived over the recovery site on July 4th, 1974, and conducted salvage operations for more than a month under the total secrecy, despite much of the time being... Uh, monitored by nearby Soviet ships, curious about its mission. During the lift, when the submarine was a third of the way up, it broke apart and the section and a section plunged back to the ocean bottom. Crestfallen, the Glomar crew successfully hauled up the portion that remained in the in the capture vehicle. Almost immediately after recovery effort, planning began for the second mission to recover the lost section but was stopped after a bizarre and unforeseen exposure of Glomar's true purpose. In June of 1974, just before the Glomar set sail, thieves had broken into the offices of the Summa Corporation and stolen secret documents, one tying Howard Hughes to CIA and the Glomar Explorer. Desperate to recover this document, CIA called the FBI, which in turn enlisted the, the Los Angeles Police Department, the search drew attention, and by the autumn of 74, the media began to pick up rumors of a sensational story. Uh, so that's <laughs> pretty crazy, man. That, um, that is crazy. There's one last paragraph here I just want to read real quick. Yeah, yeah. Director of the Central Intelligence, William Colby, personally appealed to those who had learned about the Azeron not to disclose the project for while they while they cooperated. Uh, but the f- February 7th, night. But on February 7, 1975, the Los Angeles Times publisher and an account that made connections between the robbery, Hughes, the CIA, and the recovery operation. Journalists flooded into the Long Beach area where the Glomar was prepared for its second mission. Jack Anderson's syndicated television report was broadcast nationally on March 18th, fully breaking the truth about the Glomar. The Ford administration neither confirmed nor denied any of the stories in circulation, creating the notorious statement that has come to be known as the Glomar response. (laughs) By late June, the Soviets were aware of the Glomar's covert mission and had assigned a ship to monitor and guard the recovery site with Glomar cover blown. Uh, The White House canceled further recovery operations. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's, that's what they, badass. they do need to make a movie about that though now that it's yeah. all out there that would be awesome movie yeah that's uh i didn't i i, I that's that's a really cool one yeah so yeah. evidently um they don't really we don't really know what what was in the part that they recovered but it was in the 70s and my guess is that any technology that was being used by the soviets back then is probably pretty well known of now mm-hmm. you know by now it's been, you know, 40 years. So, but dude, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. You know, what I think is cool is how they used, and I'm not a big fan of this because, you know, I hate when these globalists, you know, Howard Hughes and, 
the Rockefellers and the Gates and all these nonsense billionaires, uh, when they start getting involved in government, it's never a good thing typically for us, you know, the commoners. But this yeah, is cool. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say Howard Hughes, uh, he's really interesting. I, I, I don't know how I didn't know about that before. That was a really cool story. Um, but Howard Hughes, there was a really good movie with Leonardo DiCaprio that plays him mm -hmm. uh, called The Aviator. Yeah. Um, so I was going to say recommend that, that, but that's a really cool story. That reminded me, do you mind if I talk about something? Because that, that story reminded me of a different story with the Russians. And No, go ahead. Do you, dude, this, so this is really cool. Okay. At the same uh, – so basically they did the same thing. The CIA did that with a uh, – a Soviet spacecraft. <laughs> what? Yeah. Like like a uh, like a space shuttle. Yeah. Okay. Listen, it, so uh, I'll just read this really quick paragraph. But one day in late 1959 or 1960, the dates aren't totally clear in declassified documents. A crack team of four CIA agents worked through the night in stocking feet, taking apart a kidnapped Soviet Ludnik spacecraft without removing it from its crate. <laughs> They, they photographed every part and documented every construction element, then perfectly reassembled the whole thing without leaving a trace. So, dude, that's awesome. They, yeah. So, which is really cool to think about again. Uh, that the C, the, the CIA <laughs> does crazy stuff like this. They, yeah, they stole the. Uh, so they stole a submarine and they stole a. Uh, a satellite or a, a spaceship. A or spacecraft. Something. Yeah, the first spacecraft. One of the first spacecraft. And they they did it all in a day. That's so cool, man. Yeah, I really like that one. Um, so I do know a story that um, a friend of mine told me. And uh, he basically said that in uh, there was an operation that they were doing in the Middle East. And they knew that this one uh, terrorist would always go to this particular restaurant. Um, like... Uh, it was when I say restaurant, that's pretty loose. It's more like you know, a, 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 a like mud shack, yeah, a mud, <laughs> you know, Adobe yeah. uh, Afghanistani <laughs> Adobe. But uh, they went in and they uh, took the the chair that he would sit in, and they literally constructed an identical chair, like identical, and they bugged it all mm -hmm. over, and they put it back all on the same night. So like they had recovered photographs of it um, ahead of time. And so they were prepared for it. And then they just basically took it and then they took the whole chair and they copied it perfectly. And then they put all these bugs in it, put it back. Um, and they were able to listen in for like two months of like meetings that this guy would hold with, mm. with terrorists. And, uh, and they were able to, uh, to take him down. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Like, yeah. Uh, well, that's, I was going to say one thing, this is going to turn into like, <laughs> maybe because we bashed the agency <laughs> so much last time I did, it's good that we give them some stuff. But, well, uh, my next one is pretty cool, but ahead. the one after that is not so cool. So, okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to say it's, uh, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, actually, and I can't remember which president, I think it was the Russians actually, uh, uh, they bugged that. I don't know why that, do you I'm totally you know, get, you can tell me to piss off if I keep interrupting you <laughs> no, I'm with fine. these cool things, but it's just reminding me of other cool stuff. Um, I think it, I think it was the first embassy. Uh, 
in uh in Moscow that we had, like in the I don't know, remember when it was, but they made this uh this uh clock with like a a wooden clock or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I saw this at the uh the spy museum. They actually had it and they um so the Russians are like, "Oh, we 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 had a bunch of kids make this or it was some story like that. They're like, "We want to get, you know, the, the gesture of goodwill." And it had a bug in it. Mm. And it was in the ambassador. He hung it up like behind his desk in his <laughs> office. Jeez. And they didn't find it. That's amazing. For, like, years. And the Russians just had access to all the ambassador's uh, stuff. Everything that he's talking about. And uh, they also turned out when they were building, they, uh, which is something, this is now stuff that they, you know, standard oper- operating procedure. Now they don't do stuff like this because they learned from mistakes that they actually, I, I want to say it was also the, Ru- the Russian embassy. They, they contracted local, um, you know, if you're building an embassy wh- wherever, um, you know, it's not the military. You, you can't just make, you don't have just engineer, you know, like the army corps of engineers or something like that to build buildings and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Military base. So they contracted out to like local workers and they have people that sit and watch them. But the Russians, they started bugging like the interior. So like they, they would, you know, drywall or whatever, however you build a yes. house. Maybe. Yep. And they put bugs all in like studs and the, the walls and stuff in yeah. the foundations of the building. Wow. And so eventually they had to like destroy, they had to destroy like <laughs> half the embassy, the American embassy. Cause they found out there's all these bugs in everything. So they had to like, that's awesome. Destroy half the embassy and rebuild it again. <laughs> so, uh, we, you know, they do stuff and we do stuff, but that, that was a really cool one, man. Keep, yeah. Please keep going on. I'm okay. sorry. Interrupting. This is a short one. So this one is actually kind of weird. Uh, it's called Project Devil Eyes. You might, you may even know about this one. Mm. Um, it was a secret psychological warfare program in 2005 and 2006 by the United States Central Intelligence Agency to develop an Osama bin Laden action figure and distribute it into South Asia. The CIA worked in conjunction with toy maker Donald Levine, a former Hasbro executive who had been credited as the father of the GI Joe toy. Levine designed a 12-inch lifelike figure of Bin Laden whose face was painted with a material. Now, this is this is so weird. A material that, when heated, would peel off to reveal a demon-like fantasy with red skin, green eyes, and black markings. The goal of the program was to scare children and their parents in an effort to turn public opinion against the real Bin Laden. In 2014, the CIA acknowledged the existence of the program but said it had been discontinued after Levine had produced only three prototype figurines. According to the Washington Post, however, an anonymous source with direct knowledge of the project said that hundreds of the toys were were created and shipped to Karachi, Pakistan in 2006. If any of our listeners gets one of these, I will pay you top dollar for that. (laughs) That would be amazing. There has to be one around somewhere. There has to be. I don't. I don't know if they're that. <laughs> that that's. I. When you were tight. When you were. When you were saying that, I pulled it up. And yeah. I found a Washington Post article. This thing looks crazy. <laughs> Does it? I had never heard of this. This is. So, that's such a great find, man. 
it, you know what the uh, you know the, the best the, part about this episode right now what is that i'm actually impressing you <laughs> that never happens <laughs> dude you're finding some good ones yeah um dude i i just so for the listeners that can't immediately look it up do you remember um what's that that movie insidious <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not even i'm not even joking i'm looking at it right now oh, you gosh. remember there's like that the the demon that shows up like they have that scene where they're talking in the kitchen or the and uh it's showing them where they're talking about like different people and then for a second it, it sh- shows the guy and there's like this darth maul looking red and black face of a demon right behind his shoulder yeah that's what this face oh, looks like. gosh it does i just <laughs> googled it it kind of looks like darth maul with a beard yeah that's crazy man <laughs> I want one of these. I want one. I do too. I've got to find, we got to find two of them. We've got <laughs> to somehow find them. There's got to be some like toy collector in, uh, in like Pakistan. I'm sure they cost so much money. I know. That would be wow. so cool to have though. Yeah. Not because I like Bin Laden, but because just the fact of what it is. <laughs> yeah. Wow, dude. Okay. That, that was really that was a good one. Yeah. So uh, we're progressing to more and more current times. And um, this one that I'm about to talk to talk about right now, I, we might end on this one because there's a lot to it. Okay. And um, you probably have heard of it at some level. Um, if you hadn't, I'll be very surprised. But it's called uh, it's called Total Information Awareness. I don't know if you've heard of that project or not. Yep. Yep. <laughs> okay. So the Total Information Awareness Project was run by Admiral John Poindexter. Uh, that was the meta, meta program. It was designed to aggregate signals generated via other programs run out of DARPA's Information Awareness Office. The programs focused on a range of capabilities, including information analysis, decision supporting tools, language translation, data mining, and pattern recognition. When the component parts were combined, they would form a comprehensive picture of the of people's people and their behaviors. The purpose was to detect signals that could be used to identify terrorist behavior and head off attacks. The inspiration was the fact that the government had failed to connect the dots left by 9-11 terrorists as they planned their attack. Well, that's debatable depending mm-hmm. on who you believe actually carried out the attacks on 9-11. Mm-hmm. We'll just leave that there. <laughs> uh, concern about the program was bipartisan and wide- widespread. The Cato Institute warned of the potential for surveillance for the, a surveillance society and raised Fourth Amendment concerns. The ACLU called a virtual dragnet, called it a virtual dragnet that would require the government to collect as much information as it can about everyone and these days, that's a lot of information. Not only government records and all kind, of all kinds, but individuals, medical and financial records, political beliefs, travel history, prescriptions, buying habits, communications, phone calls, emails, web surfing, school records, personal and family associations, and so on. The U.S. Senate, led by Senators Ron Wyden and Byron Dorgan, voted unanimously to defund the program shortly after it was announced, some of the technological underpinnings were reshuffled, sent to other parts of the government, and were focused on that were that weren't focused on activities of U.S. citizens. So, the TIA 
basically was launched by this guy Poindexter, Admiral John Poindexter. Mm-hmm. And he it was a whole anti-terrorist uh, move to bring forth basically data collection and they would uh, collect all of this information from people and then detect habits and try and predict a terrorist attack. Um, and I mean, I totally understand and agree with the concept. Um, what I don't like about it is that it is very invasive. So mm-hmm. as a law abiding citizen, like I used to say this all the time, like, we, you know, the, this is the joke, the NSA is listening, right? You know, like, <laughs> and right. they always have these memes about the FBI guy getting excited when the guy finally gets a girlfriend, you know, and <laughs> stuff, but, right. but there's truth to that. There's listening happening all the time. And that's the part that bothers me. And I used to say, I didn't care. Um, because if they get into my computer, all they're going to find is, you know, sermon notes from when I was writing right. sermons for 16 years. And, um, you know, just, yeah, they can get in my bank account. Okay, big deal. There's no money in there anyways. So, <laughs> right, you know, you, yeah. you you won't even get enough to make it worth your effort. Um, but the, the, the thing is, is that it is an invasion of privacy. And so I was glad that they defunded it. But what they did is they basically broke it into pieces and shifted it off into different organizations, different programs and run by different people. And then they took all of these, what they call, so each of those organizations would be what they call a stovepipe operation. And Mm -hmm. they basically took down the barriers between the stovepipes. So basically, okay, yeah, we're, this group's going to collect your financial and this group's going to collect your web habits and this group's going to collect your travel habits and this group's going to collect this information. And what we're going to do is the barriers between them communicating, we're going to lift those barriers. So now Mm -hmm. they can all talk to one another. So it's just as if we had one organization doing it anyways. (laughs) So you know what I'm saying? So it still, it still happens. Here's the scariest thing Mm -hmm. about this. Just Google information awareness office logo and this will freak you out it this is the logo i kid you not it is a it is a pyramid with an mm-hmm. all-seeing eye on the top just like on the dollar bill and it is the all-seeing eye is there's a beam of light coming out of the eye and it's casting onto the world the globe if if you mm-hmm. <laughs> You can't get much more Illuminati than that. Uh, All-seeing eye, shining light, information, knowing everything that everyone's doing all at one time. Uh, That's a pretty crazy thing. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I I did. I started, uh, I I peeked up. It it is very scary. And uh, I want to... I just pulled this up while you were talking about it. Okay. Listen to this. On November 14, 2002, the New York Times published a column by William Sapphire in which he claimed TIA, Total Information Awareness, has been given a $200 million budget to create computer dossiers on 300 million Americans. Hmm. <laughs> That's everyone. So, <laughs> Yeah. In 2002. I mean, there's 300 and what, 80 million people in the United States right now? Yeah, I think 360 or so. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so 
yeah, that that goes back to what you had, uh, what you said about, uh, you know, we joke about, oh yeah, the FBI is listening, yeah, blah blah blah. Um, they they really were trying to do this, uh, <laughs> and yeah, the logo is crazy. Now, what was really interesting, and why this, the whole reason that I even heard about this uh, a couple, of, you know, years ago, is, uh, do you mind if I go a little bit more conspiracy? Yeah, I'm, I've got more information about this. Oh, oh, oh but, go but ahead, go, go. It, no, you, you finish, you finish. Go ahead, go okay. ahead. Okay, so uh, I, my next paragraph that I put down was that the TIA, a $240 million program, uh, oh. and so and it came by, a, a, they're saying, this piece that I have, it's saying that the New York Times piece was by John Markoff, dated November 9th of 2002. You said November 12th. So I'm wondering what, uh, and you had a different um, author to the article. So isn't, yeah, well, isn't there's... That, that's it, but from the same, uh, from the same, uh, newspaper. But anyways, um, check this out. This is the phrase that I just wanted to read and then I'll, and then I'll throw it off over to you. It says the article reported that a, a thorough total information awareness, intelligence and law enforcement officials would be given instant access to information from internet, mail, calling records, credit cards, banking transactions, travel documents without a search warrant. TIA would would not just enable governments to develop a cradle to grave dossier on known individuals. It would also, in theory, have the ability to detect terrorists and their plots by subjecting massive troves of electronic information to data mining. And this is the thing that I was going to say before I kicked it over to you. They mm-hmm. basically created a digital program. It's AI. It's it's all artificial intelligence to follow and put together data. It's basically data crunching computer. So it's AI, it's artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And that's what's scary about this <laughs> to me. That's what's scary. So what were you going to say? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think to the, the thing you, you just added, um, yeah, I, I, don't know just because recently like people you know in the last i don't know 10 years people are talking about ai and using ai and stuff like that yeah it's been around a a long time like machine learning uh artificial intelligence as a whole it's been around for a long time and um and i wonder this is just me thinking out loud uh so they had the uh the no fly list that was instituted after yeah 2000 uh after 911 and there's all these people that always talk about uh like they cuz the, the thing about the no fly list is you don't know you're the if you're on the no fly list until you try to go fly <laughs> right yeah and then all of a sudden there's these people so you hear these people they're like similar names or they they have no idea you know just like oh I'm you know my you know 70 year old grandma tried to fly for the first time in her life and she's on the no fly list. Why is she on the no fly list? She's not a terror, you know, like yeah. she, she lives in, you know, you know, it, it's, it's stories like that where people have no idea and you have to imagine it's programs like this that track, um, you know, Oh, or is this person getting a large amount of money in small, you know, are they, in, uh, you know, every day, are they getting uh, deposits of, you know, $9,500? Uh, 
just under the ten thousand dollar reporting limit. Right. And <laughs> right. you know, have they have they got, you know, that much every day for the last month and a half? So they so you know, that's suspicious stuff. Who are they talking to and building out these networks? So there is legitimate use to, you know, we hope finding terrorists, because I'm sure that they've used this to catch terrorists. I'm sure they have. But um one of the things is so it ended in May 2000 so it said uh it ended in like 2003 right uh well it changed names and then right. it, yeah so it said it went total information awareness to the terrorism information awareness yeah it yeah yeah uh so this is what really i saw this meme i don't know 5 years ago 6 years ago and it had the the timeline total information awareness ended in like late 2003 February 4th 2004 guess what was launched on <laughs> February 4th 2004 the the total or the terrorism no no no, no 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 which think, one no think what really big website oh might Facebook. have been launched yes yeah of course so you know, and the <laughs> if yeah. you look into it, uh, so that that was what the 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 meme was making a point that like within a couple months that all of a sudden, basically this application that the government was doing to get all personal information, map associates, friends, pictures, uh, facial recognition, you know, uh, stuff, and then all of a sudden Facebook launches like they're like okay we have to shut this down, and now a new private company opens up that right, essentially right. does the same thing. Um, so that's that's uh, if you want to go a little conspiracy, there's some conspiracy for you. Oh yeah. Also, um, I think I I want to. Uh, I don't want to be talking out of my butt because I'm pretty sure. Yes. Okay. So, uh, guess what? Also got. Uh, so okay, I'll just say this. So there's a. <laughs> this is not. This is not classified. Every you can look this up. This is like one of those things that's public knowledge now. The CIA has a venture capitalist firm, hmm. and it's called Incutel, <laughs> and it provides funding to startup companies. And out in the real world, you know, like there's there's tons of companies that receive funding from Incutel. Um, a lot that we know, you know, ones you, you look up. They have a website. You can go to Incutel and look at all the past companies that they've funded. Facebook did get Incutel money. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So there you go. Facebook. If you want to be a conspiracy again, did Amazon? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but I, I just remember reading uh, is maybe a year or two ago, within the last year or two, that it was confirmed that Facebook did receive Incutel funding. Hmm. So. You know, maybe this is one of those things that, uh, you know, the way I would take it of this thing is if if the total information, if the TIA scared you because you're like, I don't want the government knowing all this stuff and right, about right. me, uh, maybe think about what you're posting on social media because right. now you're giving it to them. And if it's public information, the government doesn't need a warrant to scoop up regular information. Yeah, you know? well, it just gives anyone a leg this is the thing, like you mentioned, like some people that are on the no-fly list, they don't know until they want to fly, and they might be innocent because it could yeah. be a mistake from the government. 
Where or the, the, yeah, yeah, you know, it happens. The, yeah, you know, I mean, human error, right? But uh, some of these errors could cost people like a lot. Like it could destroy their lives in big ways, significant ways. And oh, the, absolutely. And the government's not going to just go and make that right. I mean, yeah. if, if you sue, you could, you might be able to get, like if you lost wages and or whatever, or, you know, if it took, ruined your credit, it would just take yeah. years and years and years in court and you wouldn't win. So, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I have a speech by Admiral Poindexter that I found um, that was given on August 2nd of 2002. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, he's defending and explaining uh, this thing that he, this, you know, crazy net that he, Skynet, you know, that he created. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I highlighted a few paragraphs that I just wanted to touch on and read. Um, yeah, go ahead. For just out of his Please. own words, okay? His own mm-hmm. words. Uh, so he starts off by saying, the world changed dramatically since Cold War uh, when there existed two superpowers. During the years that I was in the White House, it was relatively simple to identify our intelligence collection targets. It was sometimes hard to collect the intelligence, but the targets were very clear. Today, we're in a world of asymmetries. The most serious asymmetric threat facing the United States is terrorism, a threat characterized by collections of people loosely organized in shadowy networks that are difficult to identify and define and whose goals are the destruction of our way of life. The intelligence collection targets are thousands of people whose identities and whereabouts we do not always know. It is somewhat analogous to analogous to the anti-submarine warfare problem of finding submarines in an ocean of noise. We must find the terrorists in a world of noise. Understand that that they are planning and and develop options for preventing their attacks. If we are to pr- uh, persevere, our preserve our national security, we must figure out a way of combating this threat. And this is what one of the the first paragraph I highlighted. It says, I think the solution is largely associated with information technology. We must become much more efficient and more clever in the ways that we find new sources of data, mine information from new and old, generate information, make it available for analysis, convert it to knowledge and create actionable options. There must also break down we must also break down the stovepipes, which is what I was talking about, at least punch holes in them. By this I mean we must learn to share, collaborate between agencies, and create and support high-performance teams operating on the edges of existing organizations. Tools are needed to facilitate these collaborations and to support these teams that work to ensure our security. And that's then he goes on to ask for money. Um, and then this is what he says, a variety of tools... Processes and procedures will be required to deal with the problem. They must be integrated by a system approach built around a common architecture to be effective. And then I put in parentheses, social media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's exactly what you're talking about. Uh, basically, they don't have to mine it. We give it to them. Mm-hmm. Like we literally give them everything. Uh, it's crazy. So uh, one other thing that he says down here, he says, Jonathan Phillips is working on human identification at distance to achieve positive identification of humans using multimodal biometric technologies. I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Biometric technology. So we're talking about facial recognition, 
uh, technology, fingerprints, eyes, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Such a system could be used for security systems, for example, or could be used to track potential terrorists. I want to say if you have an iPhone or an Android that uses your face to unlock it, you've been you've been fingered. <laughs> you've been had. They've they've <laughs> they've already got your image. You, you gotta you always gotta throw in something <laughs> to keep us explicit, right? Right, that's right. <laughs> um one other thing, it says Doug Dyer, these are these are two guys that are helping work on it, it says is starting a new program called Genesis, and it addresses our database needs. This project will imagine and develop ultra-large-scale, semantically rich, easily implementable database technologies. Uh, one goal is to develop ways of treating a worldwide distributed legacy database as if they were one centralized database. And, and another is to develop privacy protection technologies. I don't I think they just throw that in there on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles Wayne leads the programs called Tides and Ears. These projects address our needs in natural language processing to provide discovery tools for finding information in foreign languages and converting speech to text. Automated tools are essential in order to reduce our need for expert foreign language translation and listeners and the thousands of existing human languages. Okay, that technology, this is 2002, okay? That technology is available literally on YouTube. When you look at someone that's made a video in mm-hmm. a foreign language, there's subtitles on the bottom going on right away. Uh, it's totally AI. It happens, it's artificial intelligence, it understands the language and it converts it into whatever language you happen to have your settings on. That mm-hmm. technology was developed and is in use right now. Uh, Ted Senator is the program manager for EELD, which stands for Evidence Extraction and Link Discovery. This is a key program in the area of tools for discovery of information. Uh, and then he says, I'll let Ted talk about that. Um, I'm not sure why, but this is this is interesting. It says, Wargaming the Asymmetric Environment is led by Larry Willis. This is an essential component of our modeling efforts. Biosurveillance is another of Ted Senator's programs looking into the novel at looking at novel data sources for early warning and the release of biological agents. What does that mean? <laughs> what in the world? The release of biological agents? Yeah, bio bio warfare. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, he goes on to speak about this guy named Tom Armour, and he is from DARPA. And mm-hmm. he started this work on something called the Gen- Genoa Project, G-E-N-O-A Project. And so I wanted to just share that, too, because this kind of all ties in. But Genoa was conceived in 95 by retired Rear Admiral John Poindexter. <laughs> a chief player in the Iran-Contra affair. At the time, Poindexter was working at Syntac, a company often con- contracted to do work for the Department of Defense. He proposed a computer system that would help humans crunch large amounts of data in order to more efficiently and effectively predict potential national security threats. Poindexter brought his ideas to former colleagues working at the, the NSA, or the United States National Security Council, and... Uh, that year, a team of researchers was assembled, and the project began studying various historical ev- events to which Genoa 
could be applied. The Tokyo subway sarin attack in March was one of the primary focus. Instead of analyzing the attack itself, the researchers looked into the history of Aum uh, Shin, uh, Shinriko, the group um, that... Shinriko. Yeah, yeah, I'm Shinriko. Thank you. The group that perpetrated the attack to find evidence that could have suggested their intentions. In order to pitch their ideas, the researchers set up mock crisis command center and in DARPA's main building, full monitors staffed by actors. An audience would watch the uh, fictitious scenario as it unfolded before them, guided along by an animated video segment. Poindexter called the presentation a day in the life of an analyst. Another mock center was set up near DARPA building with the help of Hollywood set designer to serve as the same purpose. Prominent viewers of the exhibition included Richard Clark, John Michael McConnell, and James Clapper. That name sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't he doing something right now? He was a former, I think he, I know he was former director of the, uh, the NSA. I think it was a, he did. I think he held both. Yeah. Or, Clapper uh, was. See. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. He's say. he's in the news right now. Clapper's in the news right now. He's he's on Trump's staff. No, 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 no. He, he hates Trump. He hates Trump. You sure about that? James Clapper. Yeah. Okay. Maybe he was with. Uh, maybe he was with Obama then. Yeah. He he does not like Trump. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, he's. It's so hard to keep track of it. Oh yes, I'm looking at his picture right now. I remember this guy for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're right. Director, here's DNI, uh, director of national intelligence. Yeah, he also worked for the DIA. Um, yeah. Okay, so check this out though. So every when I mentioned two things that I mentioned there that brought my attention, and I wanted, to, and I'll just kind of throw it off, throw it, throw it over to you. Uh, it number one is DARPA and the Hollywood set designers, and then the actors. Every, everybody that believes, anybody that believes in false flags and these act, crisis actors um, are going to totally say, yep, that's it. That's the proof right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they do it. They did it already. Uh, so anyways, uh, I just thought that was interesting. Um, it, it, it goes on to say, lastly, in the program there, it's in this speech, he says, we will produce a complete end-to-end -end closed loop prototype system in a realistic environment referring to the Genoa project and the Genesis project and the, all of the kind of the developing of before they roll this thing out. Um, so anyways, the whole idea is they're going to create algorithms and they're going to use this information to try and predict terrorism. And the question is, is what, what happens after the terrorists are taken care of? What, what's the next frontier and what's going to be the next quote unquote terrorist, you know, what if, yeah. what if somehow the Muslims strike a deal with the Pope and then all of a sudden, no, oh, we're not going to kill <laughs> Christians and Jews anymore. We're just going to coexist like the bumper sticker says. And then all of a sudden, what is, what happens with, with this TIA? Is that going to all of a sudden turn to people who don't fully support the government the way that it is? Mm. Is it going to, focus on those that believe in free speech or those that believe in the second amendment right to bear arms or is there, you know, what, what's it going to turn to? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So Yeah. And who I, makes the, who makes the definition? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, those are all really important questions. And uh, I was going to say like, there's never been a point in time 
this is really scary to think about. Um, actually, there's a book. Uh, it's called like Three Felonies a Day, something like that, hmm. where it was like this lawyer and he wrote, basically the whole premise is like you wake up, you, you, you go, you eat breakfast, you drive to work, you do your job, you come home, you watch TV, whatever, like you do a normal day and you've broken three felonies. Like you've committed three felonies because there's so many laws on the book. <laughs> yeah, that, right. Like there, nobody can tell all the laws. There's, there's no way to know. And so the whole point of that is there's never been a point in time where the government has restricted stuff. Like I can't think of anything where they've re- Temper like they restricted temporarily. Yeah. They yeah. come in, and they're like, "Oh, the Patriot Act. It's we need to do this right now," and we push it through. Anytime they take rights away, anytime the government take takes rights away, they never give them back. You know, yeah, like, I agree. Yeah, that's why I'm concerned about right now. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that people should you should be worried about that the government. Every time they implement these new laws and restrictions and stuff, they're not they're not overturning old ones. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah. And they they definitely don't go back and say, oh, that's, you know, um, they they don't they don't they never, you know, agree. They don't you know for every one law passed, they don't negate another one. Yeah. It's not a one for one replacement. It's additions. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then they're never satisfied. They got to keep. More power, more power, more more control, because then yep. they can demand more taxes and all that. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, so I've got one last one. it's, oh, it's okay. not it's not a long one, but it's actually kind of cool, and it kind of ends on a cool note. So I thought it would be kind of it's strange. Yeah, it. So it's called Operation Goldfinger. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think I mentioned this to you last week. Yeah. So uh, in September of 1965, Joe Barr a Treasury Department official with a long history in government, agreed to meet with a group of members of Congress from the Western states. He knew he knew what to expect. Earlier that year, he had met with the same group and endured its ire over the Treasury's reluctance to help the American gold industry. After the Second World War, world leaders had met at Brenton Woods in New Hampshire, and as part of an agreement on an international monetary system, and had fixed the price of gold at $35 an ounce. This had predictably depressed the United States mining industry, even as the demand for private gold shot up. The more easily obtained sources of gold had been depleted over the years, while harder-to-reach sources became more and more difficult to mine profitably, given given the static price. Foreign competition, chiefly from Canada and South Africa, where mines were less depleted and labor costs were much lower, was far more intensely more intense by 1960 than it had been after the war when the price of gold was set. The United States was at a distant third in gold production. Rather than attempt to compete, many many mines simply shut down. Politicians from the western states where most gold was mined in the U.S. considered it an economic crisis. By 1965, they had lost their patience. Nineteen senators, including influential Democrats like Frank Church, Henry Jackson, Warren Magnuson and George McGovern signed a blunt letter to President Lyndon Johnson accusing him of letting America's gold industry die. Gold, they said, is the only commodity held down to a price established 31 years ago and compelled to sell only to the the imposer of its strangling restriction, the federal government. 
uh, the federal government since since the 1930s treasury was only a domestic entity and could legally buy investment gold uh, badly needed reform they added was being blocked by treasury negative treasury's negative attitude these words were just short of a threat that the senators would would take action on gold or with or without the administrative administration's support it was it was in this atmosphere which Barr described a more heated than usual then he trekked up to Capitol Hill on a, on that September day Barr Barr later said that at a meeting that he had that he had a stroke of inspiration instead of maintaining the government's hard line he suggested that possibly the government could assist in this area by some sort of R&D approach in the discovery of deposits and it was an ex- in in the extraction process it wasn't the price increase the western senators hoped for it but it pleased them nonetheless Barr and a colleague then went to see Donald Horrig, who was Johnson's science and technology advisor and one of the most accomplished American scientists ever to occupy a position of political power. Hornig had worked on the Manhattan Project. He also had worked on the space program and was an expert in ocean desalinization technology. That's when they take the salt water out of, of uh, the salt, salt out of the salt water. Uh, responding to Treasury's inquiry about gold research, Hornig asked the Geological Survey and the Bureau of Mines for a study, and word came back that yes, there is indeed an opportunity to secure significant quantities of additional gold production in the United States within the $35 an ounce price limitation. The solution seemed simple enough. Deploy state-of-the-art technology to detect gold and extract it. Thus began the strange untold episode in modern American history in the mid to late 1960s as gold's role and the international monetary system was about to implode a handful of top Johnson administration officials a few sympathetic members of Congress and hundreds of government paid scientists set off on a nuclear aged alchemical quest Barr gave it the code name Operation Goldfinger the government would end up looking for gold in the oddest of places, seawater, meteorites, plants, and even deer antlers. <laughs> wow. So uh, there was even plans to use nuclear explosives to extract gold from deep inside the earth <laughs> and uh, and use particle accelerators to try and change base metals into gold. So that literally is alchemy. That's what alchemy is, is trying to change mm-hmm. uh, one... one uh, metal into another so um yeah so that was like a kind of crazy um program that the government funded and Mm -hmm. um it said that uh they did a bunch of research nothing really came back they thought they found this plant that had it had traces of gold in it but they realized they would have to grow so much of it and try and get it extracted out of the plant in order to make it happen that it was just too cost prohibitive to to keep doing it um, and so they ended up scrapping the whole thing, um, after a while. But, uh, one last thing here, it says that, uh, in February of 1966, uh, Horig wrote to president Johnson, it appears by spending from 10 million to 20 million per year, we stand a good chance of adding several billion dollars of our gold reserves at the present price. <laughs> so he basically said, let's just start buying gold. And, right. and, uh, he says, we'll just buy gold and then as 
it becomes less and less valuable, the price will go up and we'll have more and it'll be more valuable. So he treated it like a stock. And uh, <laughs> that was That's crazy. That was their answer. So we'll, the government will, so instead of going back and telling, you know, the rest of the world monetary system or whatever that, hey, look, it was good for then. This is now we're going to lift this thing and let, let, let gold grow in price, which it, it does mm -hmm. now. It's now it can go above that price now very easily. But uh, they were saying that uh, that hopefully if they could get that 10 to 20 million dollars a year spent, um, they would be able to in a matter of um, a few years, they would be able to have 10 billion dollars uh, uh, worth of gold. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's just so weird the things that happen in our federal mm -hmm. government, man. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. There was a gold lobby and they got some senators on their side and they got mad and then the government threw money at it. Mm -hmm. It's just so weird to me. <laughs> it's so typical. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. yeah you picked, you picked uh, some great ones that I feel um, bad that <laughs> I'm gonna, we're going to have to do a part three because I need to find some crazy <laughs> ones. Cause the ones I've talked about, I feel like we're not, very crazy and yeah but you did some good ones man those are good oh, those are good that makes me happy thank you yeah man <laughs> so so that was cool i wanted to uh, as we're wrapping up here i just wanted to unless there's something else you want to add anything you want to no. okay um we do have some some uh, good podcast episodes coming up um we've got mm. some stuff scheduled over the next few weeks so um you want to be paying attention to your pod feeder and uh download the latest episodes and I do want to just ask a personal favor from our friends that do listen. Um, share this podcast with others. We're still continuing to try and grow. We are growing. Every month we see our numbers increase, which is really encouraging. Um, but, uh, you know, we don't make money off this thing. <laughs> uh -huh. And, uh, you know, our goal never really was to make money off of it. Um, if we could pay ourselves back from our investment, that would be great someday. But... Um, you know, and if you have ideas for episodes that you'd want us to talk about, find us on social media, reach out to us, connect with us. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're in, we're in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're there, you know, um, the NSA knows all about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the TIA is on, they probably are subscribed. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, anyways, we just ask that you would spread the word and, and uh, do us kindly in that way. And if you want to leave a, a review, that would be that helps us too on iTunes. I haven't asked yeah. for that in a while. We haven't yeah, had please. like we haven't had like a, a review in like since like November. It's time somebody new go <laughs> log on and and give us the five star and tell us that you like us. I mean, we need that for our egos. I yeah, I do. Anyways, I do too. I'm yeah. fragile. Mm -hmm. So me too. All right, dude. That was a fun episode. That was cool. Yeah, it was. I'm looking forward to the next couple that we're going to have. It, yeah. If, if the plans play out the way we hope, it should be pretty fun. Yeah, absolutely. So that's going to be awesome. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we'll catch you next time. See you guys. Yeah. What do you always say? Oh, you. All right. <laughs> you always say that I always say it, but I don't say it. So obviously, I don't always say it. But stay well, hydrated. No, that's not what you always say. What do I say? 
smoking that sticky sticky green stuff oh stay high <laughs> stay hydrated stay uh, high oh whatever alright man <laughs> we'll catch you next time later bye thanks for listening to the all out war podcast today we hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll catch you next time <laughs>